We're going to read from um, John 9. I'm going to read from John the ninth chapter and start in verse 1. And this is what it says. And passing along, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, which sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God might be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Night comes when no man or no one can work. When I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Really awesome when we see this. Seeing this whole chapter is very amazing when we, when we look at it. There's so much in here. It's almost like you can't even... You can barely touch it. Uh, as, as God was giving it to me, just ministering to me this morning, I was just up there saying, God, I can't do this. I can't give it out because it's, it's so big. You know, and of course, we can't do anything without him. We can't do a single thing without him. But the rest goes on, and it's really interesting how... You see the Pharisees there, and of course, everywhere that Jesus was walked, here, here, here is the love of God manifested in Christ, and that's coming out in light, just uh, so that uh, we could have that light of that love life. Uh, Christ put on that humanity in John 1 and verse 14, and here he is walking, and everywhere he's walking uh, in love, everywhere he walked was love. And the light that was being manifested of that love. And everywhere he walked were the Pharisees, which was the manifestation of Satan through them in the hatred for God. Everywhere he walked. And, of course, that's what the world does. You know, here, here it is in, in the Lord's day. Here he is. And, and uh, the Jews are completely... They're completely overwhelmed and they're completely involved with the Sabbath. And the reason that they are is because they are blind as anything. They're blind to their own sins. They're blind to their own failures, completely blind to it. But their eyes are open being blind to everyone else's sins and failures. And so... What I love about it this morning and, and the thoughts that I was getting is that, you know, like when you get a summons, you have to appear, like for, for instance, like in a court case of some kind, there's, there's a summons, and that means you, you have to appear. And what I love about this morning when we come to hear the word is that we have a divine summons, you know, and it's based upon the love of God through, through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he summons us, and it's his love that summons us, that issues us the summons this morning. It wasn't legalism. It wasn't legalism. He didn't call us because of our sin. And of course, but in his love and in his light, he's going to reveal to us that it is dealt with, that it needs to be, but... The needs be of it being dealt with is it's, it would be just something that would be interfering with that love that would flow through that light. So we have this summons from God, and he summoned all of us this morning to meet together, and it's, we meet together, and we can only meet together in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And the name there, obviously, is, is we've been taught, has to do with his person, the person of Christ himself, and the work that he's accomplished. So we're summoned, and we're summoned based upon the fact that we're in Christ. But that summons is, and the word that comes from that summons that we're called to, which is Christ himself, is it speaks of a separation from this world. 
we're separated from it. Because if we're not as believers, then we end up in blindness, don't we? Not in our position, but in our experience. So, he calls us. And we're not being blamed for the sins. We're not being blamed for failures. They're pointed out as something that gets in, in the way, in our experience, of what our position, what our very what God's very sight of us is. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So when he summons us, the summons is not as a judge that's going to judge us, but as a loving father, as Jesus was revealing to Mary at the tomb when he finally said her name and she could recognize him by uh, the way that only he could say her name in John the 20th chapter and 17th verse. But we're called, and he calls us, to be separated in our thinking from the world. We don't think like the world. Because what is the world? What is coming for the world? We see that in Acts 17 and verse 31. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is teaching, it teaches us two things. That, that there isn't any judgment for us. Isn't that wonderful? We're not being summoned here as believers in Christ to be judged for our sins. They may have, some of our conduct may have to be dealt with, but it's not as a judgment. It's as a loving father. But the resurrection of Christ, for those that haven't received Christ, what is it in this world system, what is it about it? Judgment is coming. But we are called summoned because we're separated from that. (laughs) It's It's an amazing thing to consider this morning. And that, he would have us to come summoned about who we are, summons. We have this summons. Each one of us have that. And so we come. And he wants to make us conscious through the light of the word of what? The fact that we are redeemed. We have redemption. And that we have been justified. Cleared of all guilt and condemnation. Because it has to do with the death of Christ that we received, his death, but that now it's, we have resurrection life. We've been baptized, and that's baptism. Again, baptism has to do with death. We died with him, but out of that, now we have this resurrection life. And we're being taught things. We're being taught things this morning. We're being taught things that We are passing through a time of suffering. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, all that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's a privilege. That's That's a badge of honor. We no longer have to suffer because of the consequences of our sins. They've been dealt with. And he doesn't want us. That's why we're called, we're summoned to to appear before him in the light of who we are in Christ. To see, to see light, to see and not to, to function in blindness or in hardness. Remember, in all those cases there, the blindness in the scriptures, it, it speaks of being hardened. You know, the world is hardened because they reject Christ. So they don't see properly. And when we don't have the word and the light of the word, we go by our opinions in Proverbs 18, 2. And sometimes we function towards those even that we love, we think we're loving them when it's just sentimentality. And sentimentality really has some issue in the flesh that's in them, in the one that believes they're loving the other outside the light of the scriptures. But God has summoned us here to be separated in our thinking. And he's teaching us through this light, that we are passing through a time of suffering, but we are on our way to enter into glory. And it's unbelievable. He wants us to, to even think that way right now and to understand it. But the one thing that the world always does, and it will do this, that's why it says in 1 John 2, verse 15, love not the world. He's speaking to believers there in 1 John, the second chapter. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Why? Because what the world will do to the Christian 
who forgets God or is not taught or taught the wrong way will teach them to cause to mix in their experience as a Christian, already free in him in Galatians 5.1, but to mix law with grace. I have to do something now. We've been saying, God's been teaching, teaching all of us, been teaching me in my own personal life and teaching us all together as a local assembly uh, recently, how it's so important in Mark 4, verse 24, to be careful what we hear. When we're careful what we hear, then we can be careful in Luke 8, 18, how we should hear. And then in James 1 and verse 19, we will be more ready to hear. And if you follow James 1, 19 to 25, we're going to be careful to hear and not forget when we look into the word, the water of the word that cleanses, we're going to get a right image, a true image in the light of who we are. And that's what God is always dealing with us. He's always dealing with us based upon who we are. And there is no condemnation there. And so, but that's what the world, that's why we need to be careful because sometimes we as believers, when we don't hear right, and we went into this in Ecclesiastes 10.1 and Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 20, we don't have to go into those because you know, we, we do have that in, in, a, in the message that God has given us already. Uh, but when we hear, as believers, when we hear things that we should not hear, even when we hear them from believers that are truly in Christ, but not instructed, they're uninstructed when they don't know how, or when they forget how to function, then what do we do? We receive in our seeing what they don't see. That's what, that's what can happen. Remember to see. And so, because they may not see what they're delivered from. When I submit to it, and it's not what I should in, in terms of obeying the truth, then what will I do? Then will I miss what I'm delivered from? I will. And then it becomes a legalistic issue again, doesn't it? But thank God that Jesus Christ, when he appears to us in this summons, in this light of the word, what is he? He's risen. What does that mean? He's above everything. He's calling us to walk in the light in 1 John 1, 7 about how we already are. Right now, we're in this world like Jesus was, but he wasn't of it in John 17 and verse 14. And neither are we in verse 16 of that same chapter in 17 of John. We aren't. So he calls us as a risen Christ. He calls us. And what is he calling us from? He's calling us from the dead. Now, am I, can I, am I dead now? Am I a dead man in my position? No, I already died in Romans 6, 9. He that dies once, what? Dies no more. Now, it's Colossians 3 and verse 3. Now, who are we? You are dead. That's done. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. So who's he calling? Who's he give the summons to? Those that are in Christ. Are they dead in their position? Nope. But could we be functioning in death in our experience? But yet he still, is, he st is it a judgment upon us? Now, it's just a loving correction. And because we are risen ones and Christ is our life. We are risen ones without any question about it. And so what do we see here? What, what a picture. Jesus is passing by. Is he just passing by? Or did God have a plan did he have a plan for that blind man? They said, they were asking Jesus here, right here, we read it right here. He, they were asking Jesus, what did this man do? What did this person do? What did this man do? I mean, this, this man must have done something. Or his parents must have done something. 
to be born in sin. Now, we all know in Psalm 51 and verse 5, we were conceived in sin. We all know through the scriptures in Psalm 58, verse 3, that the babies, as soon as they're born, they come out of the womb and just automatically they, they speak lies, but that speaks of a sin nature. Okay, they we're born with a sin nature. But was that the issue with Jesus about this man? Was it? I think it's so amazing here. He, he was born in what is called congenital blindness. He was born blind. He was born blind. How were we born before we received Christ? We were blind, weren't we? We, we needed to see. We needed to see the reality that we needed a substitute. We knew that we had a need that could only be met, that, Christ, that God did meet through his son in Philippians 4 and verse 13. Uh, and 419, my God will supply all your need. That's a continual truth. He's going to continually supply our need. He did, it didn't stop when we received Christ. We need to see constantly and be taught that we can't do a single thing without him. We need to see that. And, he, and uh, he's going to continue to show us that. But just think, here, here, here's the Pharisees. I just think this is so incredible. Did Jesus, did he have a real human nature? Yeah, he had a real human nature. He didn't have a sin nature, but he had a human nature. When he came to his own in John 1.11, in his perfect humanity, but still humanity, could he feel the real pressure of the hatred and rejection that was towards him. He did. That's why he knows and he can feel all our pain, all our rejection, all the, all the hatred and all of that. He understands it. And in a way that maybe sometimes we don't, but when we draw near to him, through the light, through the word, through the light of that love that brings that light out, we can see how he, he can cause us to understand the rejection in a proper way. But here he is. Here's the Pharisees, those that he loved, but the religious crowd, and they're following it, and they're, they're constantly this hatred. They followed him and sought every opportunity in their hatred to kill him. And he feels that. He feels it. It was felt by him. But even with that, he never operated outside of the holy calm that he had in the face of men's murderous hatred towards him to do a work of divine love for that individual. Did you know it's still the same today for us? Still the same today. He's the same. When we read this here, that, that, that Jesus was passing through. He's not just passing through your circumstances and your situations and mine. He, there's a purpose. There's a purpose for him. And the purpose is that he might manifest to you and I the works of his mercy, his grace, his unconditional love, his very goodness. There's a purpose in it. Every circumstance and situation was a part of a divine plan in the eternal mind of God long before you and I ever got there. Jesus walked those steps in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. That lamb, think about it. When I think of those verses in Revelations 13, 8, he was a lamb slain from, and it really means before the foundation of the earth. When I picture but when some have called it, and it is, if we, if we want to think of it in terms of much, as, as much as we can think of it, in John 1, verse 1, that's the oldest verse in the Bible because it brings us back even before creation in Genesis, the first chapter. It brings us back to in the beginning of eternity, as much as we can comprehend that, the Word, and the Word with God and the Word God. But at what point... 
what point was he never, the Father and the Son, with the Holy Spirit proceeding from both in a oneness. And by the way, that oneness, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, when it says that you and I in Colossians 2.10 are complete in him, the Greek makes it very plain that we are filled up with all of them because of Christ. We have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together, working that salvation that's ours out into every single circumstance and situation that we go through, everything. And that's why it says we have two comforters. Do we have a Father? We know that. We know that based upon uh, Galatians 4, chapter 4, and verses 6 and 7. We know that based upon Romans, the 8th chapter and the 15th verse. We have a Father. We know that as was God brought to our mind this morning in John 20, verse 17. We have a Father. But we have the Son who's the Comforter. As Jesus said in John 14, 16, I'm going to give you another Comforter. I'm going to go and comfort you in heaven. I will send you portions of comfort from heaven. But you're going to have the Holy Spirit. And he's another comforter. And he's in you. And he's going to be able to comfort you in a way even before you even fully comprehend it because you have the Spirit in you. God the Spirit. And we're one. We're one about that comfort that we have. We're completely one about it. And that's why it says, even when, even when all we can do is groan in Romans 8 and verse 26 through t- things that we suffer, and sometimes we suffer because of our sin, but he doesn't, uh, he doesn't know us after our sin, thank God. And sometimes we suffer and it's righteous suffering. You can read that even in Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. We can suffer righteously. But he knows that. And even when we just groan, we can't even comprehend and put it in words, he brings it. And they're one in that comfort that we have. And, you know, he does a work on us still. And there's still a, a hatred that's man- manifest. You and I wouldn't even be hate- hated if we weren't. And ex- to experience hatred. I w- let me put it that way. We wouldn't even experience this hatred in terms of being, have Christ being in us and a share of that suffering in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 28 and 29. Uh, we, that's part of our, you know, that's part of what we have in Christ is those sufferings of hatred. Because the world is hated. hated. They don't know what to do with it. They can't comprehend it. They don't understand it. They don't. And then, of course, the enemy will take it and make it. If there's a, a, such a thing as a God, it's because what you know they're being hated by him. <laughs> but to us, it's, it's to understand it this way through the light of his love. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to understand. You know, and some would even teach that because this man was born blind in sin, that, that maybe that we were. That's God anticipating the punishment that's waiting for us as soon as we come out. <laughs> that's what they were thinking. What sin did this man do? What did his parents do? And yes, we were born in sin, but was that the issue with him? at this point, and, and of course it's not. It never is in the preaching and teaching, in the te- preaching and teaching to those that are in Christ. God has never has a thing against us in who we are in Christ. What he has against us is that that's in us that's not of him, thereby it's not of us, truly. And so we see him. And what does he do? What does he do? He takes clay. He takes clay. He spits on it, rubs it together, and puts it on his eyes. Puts it on his eyes. Did the man see yet? He didn't see just yet. He didn't see yet. And sometimes 
You know, we don't see things yet because we're growing in 2 Peter 3 and 18. We're growing in grace and knowledge. You know, and what I love about Psalm 36, verse 9, it says, with you, O God, is the fountain of life. You know what that means? Whenever I need a supply, I need to go to him and him alone. With you, O God, is the fountain of life. And in your light, it says, we will see light. And that path in Proverbs 4, 18 is getting brighter and brighter until finally in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, we will see him face to face. Oh God, what will that be like? And then to be able to see each other that way for all eternity and grow in that too for all eternity. Well, he had a purpose for everything he was doing. Did you know that God has a purpose for you? and me, and our circumstances and situations, no matter what they are. But if I get blind or I get hard, I will see without him and use the circumstance and the situation to become my sight. When I do that, I can only do it, I would only do it in the flesh. Our mix works with it and try and work something out. Because I think that maybe God has something against me because I failed, or because I didn't do this or do that. Some will take the, the word that way, and some of us we have, and we ha- all of us, all of us, we, we learn by these things. We learn that that's not who we are, and that's what we need to learn. But, God, but Jesus did that. Everything he has is a purpose. He met this man right in the midst of his circumstances. Here he is. This intense hatred is constantly being directed toward him. And he's feeling it. But did it stop him from functioning in holy calm and in unbelievable grace to a blind man who couldn't see? Didn't stop him. Can't stop him. You can't kill love. You can't stop love. And we see that uh, just in, in, in... the word that God has given us to, in his precious word to be able to write a book about it that he wrote, that we just, we just happened to write it down what he told us to write about causeless love. So Jesus took that clay and put it on his eyes. But couldn't Jesus just have spoken the word? I mean, Jesus, can't, can't you just speak the word? You ever say that, God? Can't you just, why do I have to do this? He could have. Could he have easily done that for this blind man? I mean, he spoke the world into existence. We see that in Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 3. We see it. He framed the world with a spoken word in Hebrews 11, verse 3. We see it. God, can't you just speak the word? No, I can can speak the word. Why did he do the clay? He could have just easily spoken the word in this man's circumstance and situation. But all the clay in the world could not have cured him, but only the power of the Lord. His word would have been enough. But this man, in his blindness, and what he couldn't see, had to trust God in obedience. He had to do it. And so do we through our circumstances, through our situations. Those things that would cause us in the natural, in the flesh, to not want to confront, to run away from them. To get away from them. To get away for a while. (laughs) i got to get away for a while. Yeah, I know. But if it's not dealt with, we're going to take it with us, aren't we? And all we can do is try and cover it up. The clay was covering up the man's blindness, but did it heal him? did it. Well, when, when God speaks his word through Christ as he's spoken, and we see that again in Hebrews 1, verse 2, he speaks through his son to us right now. That's how he speaks to us. Does he love his son? Does he see us in him? That's how he speaks to us. He speaks to us through, through the light of his love. And he's speaking to us because otherwise we're incapable. We have no ability to be able to see properly. And when we don't, we don't have a very good image, do we? And if I don't have a good image of myself, 
I reflect that towards God. How do I see God? How do I see each other? No, no man after the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16, all things are. They're not in the process of. They are, they are in our experience, but they already have passed away in our position in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17. But we are incapable. That's why it says that. When you see the flow of John the first chapter, you see the Father and the Son in eternity. Nothing can disturb or distract this love that they have. Nothing. Then he puts on humanity in John 1, verse 14. Born of a virgin, 14-year-old little peasant girl. Born, not favored above, but among women. In, one, uh, in, in, in Luke 1, and verse 35. He's born, he puts on humanity. Humanity, because why? Because he had to. He entered into every circumstance, situation, every hatred, every rejection that you and I would ever face. He had to because in John 1.18, it says where it says no man, like in my King James, and I think that's italicized there, it's an interpolation. It's put there because of a lack of something better to put, or it doesn't belong there. In this case, it doesn't belong there because it says no created being, no even unfallen angel has ever seen God in all his fullness. Only Jesus Christ has, the Son of God. That's why he had to put on humanity and become the Son of Man. But he, can you believe that? God entering into every circumstance and situation, going through every pain, every, everything that you and I could think of. Because otherwise, we would be completely incapable of seeing. And that's why it's the Holy Spirit who has to take the things of Christ. In John 16 and 13, he guides us into it. That's what he's doing this morning. He's guiding us into proper thinking. We must decrease so that we can function in the increase. We've already been given the increase, but do I see it properly until I decrease? Oh, I, I wish as much as God has to cause me to see that the decrease is not who I am, and he may have to deal with the decrease, and he does in all of us, but that's not who we are. <laughs> we already have the increase. But how many Christians don't know who they are, and the increase that's already theirs because they haven't decreased. It's the world, it's the flesh, it's the legalism that comes in and mixes self with it. And they still function as a blind man. Well, this man here, he had to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, and he didn't see until he did it. Notice that. We don't see properly until I trust God in obedience through the washing of the water of the word in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. Until I do that, I don't see properly, and most Christians don't if they're not taught properly. And that includes any of us. And any of us, I don't care who we are, I don't care who I am, doesn't matter. I can forget who I am. And when I do, I'll function as a blind man. But as soon as I wash, <laughs> I see properly. That's why, and that's what was going on with this man. You'll see it at the end of the chapter. And they're all doubting him. <laughs> all the Pharisees and everything, they're telling him. Yeah? And many of them saw his miracles. They, they were eyewitnesses of this man healing. And yet, they refuse to believe it. Wow. Just think of everything that God has shown us, everything that he's done for us. And as we go forward, the enemy still wants us to function as blind people and just to forget all this so I can't trust him here. Well, you know, uh, there's a song that says, he didn't, leave it. he didn't lead us this far to leave us. You know, God can't leave us. He would have to leave his son if he did. And that's not happening because they're one. And we're one in him in John 17, 11, 21 and 22. Well, we can see this uh, clearly. They refused to believe it. They accused him, you weren't born blind. <laughs> they refused to believe it. And even the fact that they literally accused Christ of being a sinner 
Because, and why? Why did they do that? Because he was healing this man on the Sabbath. Oh, God. Can you believe that? Oh, God, they're accusing Christ. You know, that's what it is. You know, when you and I trust God by faith, and when we do that, and when others don't, they will accuse us because it's Christ in us. There's an accusation. Who does Satan accuse in Revelation 12, verse 10? The brethren. Uh, has Christ made himself one with us and one with him? In Hebrews 2, 10, 11, and 12. Is there any shame in it? None. None. But the enemy wants Christians, because of a lack of teaching, or forgetting teaching, or living in the flesh, to, uh, to act as blind men and to see God in a way that he truly is not. To not see him. What is God like? What does the world think God is like? What, are, what do believers think God is like? You see him in Jesus. Remember what they said in John 14, verse 8? Hey, show us the Father, Jesus, and that will be, that'll be sufficient for us. That will suffice us. Jesus said in 14, 9, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. You want to know what he's like? That's what he's like. That's who's leading us. That's who's guiding us. But here, this man, again, he was completely and utterly blind. But then, through that blindness, he had to still trust God and go forward and obey God. Still. In his unsaved condition. Because he wasn't, he wasn't born again yet. Not till the end of the chapter. Did he believe? Not till the end. Did he... Did he believe? And Jesus has caused us to be, to be born again. That's what he's done. He's caused us to be born again. He's the cause of our being born again in a beautiful way. And we still need to continue, right? What is our pool of Siloam? What is our pool? It's, it's coming to here. The word of God in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing. Dependence. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the preaching of the word of God, it says in the original Koine Greek. This man was utterly blind, but here is Jesus Christ. And where is he? Right in the midst of our darkest circumstance. Does he leave us? Is he the light in us? Do I go by what I see on the outside, the light? Because if I'm not dependent, I don't obey him, I don't go forward, what do I do? I see through the darkness of the world. I see through the darkness of the world. And who's the, who is the prince of this world system in John 12, uh, 31 and 14, verse 30? But here he is in the world. And what is he? He's light. He's light. Was what Jesus asking this man to do? Was even that a test of his obedience? Well, in, 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 in short it was, or the very shortest, but what was it for? He wanted to manifest his grace, his truth, his unconditional love to that very individual man. And then in doing so, to make it apparent to all those that were around him. It's, just, it's amazing when I think about it that Jesus took that body on him just so he could be one with us. So that he could be one. There's a purpose in everything that he asks us to do. To trust him by faith. There's incredible purpose. Because in that purpose is him who's already fulfilled it. And in that purpose Literally, even in the things we can't see, is his anticipative love and his prevenient grace. And he is waiting, prevenient grace, as Isaiah 30, verse 18. He's waiting to be gracious when my will will submit to him. And what a beautiful thought that that is. What a beautiful thought. Just think about what God has for us and how he... he wants to elevate us now in this world. In this world, is there hatred? Intense hatred. But are we occupied with that? He felt it, and we feel it. 
But what? But we have him to run to and to do it so quickly. We can turn just like he did. They, were hate, they hated him, the Pharisees. They followed him everywhere. They were rejecting him and hating him. But quickly he would function in his holy calm to do a work in this individual. We can quickly turn from that hatred, quickly, quickly, and, and turn to him. And what do we find there? We find the creator of everything. We find him. Jesus Christ is the greatest creation of God himself, isn't he? And that's what makes us his creation in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. You know, he didn't do anything haphazardly. He didn't do a single thing. He took on a body. In Hebrews 10, verse 5, he wasn't interested in sacrifice and offering, but a body he prepared. He prepared Christ for us. Genesis 22 and verse 8 says that God first had to prepare, had, had, had to have a sacrifice for himself, a lamb for himself. That is John 1 verse 29. He had to deal with the sin question. This wasn't paying for the sins of the whole world. He would only do that to those that would receive that fact. But he's dealt with ours, hasn't he? That's the summons. The summons is calling us to say, here, you have this. You may be not functioning in who you are, in your proper image, in my sight. You're acting as a blind man or a blind woman in this situation. I give you a summons to come in here that this is not who you are. I have, he may have to deal with it, and he does. He does. But many continually want that love of God. There's even so many songs and they're crying out for love that they desire, but there's a decrease in them that hasn't, there's, an, it, there's something in them that hasn't decreased yet and it's a blindness and it keeps that love that's theirs in their position from flowing in their experience. And multitudes can get together and it's just, it's a cry. You know, and many cry, you know, they cry to, for God. Christians, they cry for God to be merciful. And what they're doing is they're crying and saying, oh God, be propitiated. He already is propitiated. And that's why even in 1 John 1, 9, we're not praying to be forgiven for our sins. That can enter into a prayer. But to properly understand it is 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, we're not praying for forgiveness. We're not praying for God, oh, please be propitiated. I did this wrong. Please be propitiated. Forgive me. No, no. We already are forgiven. And that's what we confess. We confess what we're not to function in who we truly are. We're no longer a blind person. And you know, in Matthew 15 and verse 14, that's what Jesus said about the Pharisees. He said, the blind will lead the blind. You know, and again, blind, it means hard. Oh, how the enemy, he so wants to harden our heart, our view of truly who God is. He's a loving father. He's not a judge. Everything about us in our personal life, here, even about this man, wasn't attached to the man himself. The enemy wants you and I to attach our sins to us. No. Everything about that man, everything that God had that man was attached to Jesus. All he had to do was receive it. But he had to walk in faith. He had to trust God. He had to trust him. Trust him that he is good, that he is for you, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the situation is, no matter what. No matter what. When the enemy comes in like a flood in Isaiah 59, verse 19, like he does with many of us. When? Not if, but when. The enemy comes in like a flood. The Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, you see? The Spirit of the Lord, that's the Holy Spirit. We'll lift up a standard. Who's the standard? It's God for us in Christ. Sin's dealt with. You're redeemed. You're summoned to call. And the basis of your summons that he calls you is you're guilt-free and you're guilt-free. 
There's no condemnation in Romans 8.1. You're guilt-free. And now you're to function because you're cleared in justification. You're to function in what? In resurrection life, which is a proper image. Oh, how he... You know, even when... And I thought of this this morning as we closed this morning. I even thought of this. <laughs> you know, even in... Sometimes even in my own pain... You know, it could be the pain of my failure, or it could be the pain of, you know, of certain things that, you know, in our struggles that we go through. But, you know, the whole time that Saul was persecuting and hurting the church of Jesus Christ, do you remember what Jesus was saying to him when he called him? He said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You know, he feels every one of our pains. We can see that in Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 to 16. What is our Savior like, risen above everything? Look at, him, look at him as he walked on the earth. If you want to know what Jesus was like in his beautiful love life and the light that he was and is when he walked the face of the earth, we look to John the Apostle. If you and I want to know what our position is now experientially in the light of his love, risen in heaven and we are a heavenly people we look to the apostle paul and with both through the holy spirit we see who we truly are in a proper image he feels our pain that's why we can run to him he knows it he knows every single thing about it he knows about it but yet he had to obey we have to obey it's the holy spirit too we have to walk in obedience and submit to the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. See, his, was his incarnation, the fact that he had a body, was that just enough? No. He was filled with the Spirit. We have Christ. We have him in our position. But is that, and we're going to heaven, but is that enough? The enemy wants believers to think that's enough. Right here, you're going to suffer. It's going to, you're going to be confused. You're not going to understand anything. That's enough. No, it's not enough. It's more. It's necessary, of course. And to be valued more than we'll have all eternity to realize that. But now it's the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus was saying in John 6, 63. It is the Spirit that quickens that brings us life, that imparts the life that's been already imputed. See, imputation is who we are in opposition in Christ. That's position. Now for it to be worked into our experience, it needs to be imparted. And it has to be by the Holy Spirit who takes the things of Christ in John 16 and 13, shows them unto us. And without the effectual work of the Holy Spirit, you and I can't see properly. The summons is come and see. Come. See, so you don't walk in the hardness and blindness of the flesh. Come and see. Come see. That's what they said. I think it's John 12, 21, when they said, said to Philip, they said, uh, sirs, we would see Jesus. We want to see him. And you know, when we see him, we see who we properly are in him and who he is in us. And so as we begin to close this, see, it says in Acts 15 and verse 9, it says their hearts, their minds and emotions were purified by what? Faith. Dependence. Being dependent on the Holy Spirit to be able to take the word like he is with all of us, all of us this morning, because they said, uh, Paul said in, through the Holy Spirit, it was really the Holy Spirit through Paul when he said in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 and verse 13, I thank God that when you received the word, you didn't receive it as the word of man only, but as it is in truth, the word of God, the, the word of God that works effectually in you when we depend on it, when we trust in him. And now, when that man went in obedience, you have to, you have to do it this way. This is the place. This is the way in Isaiah uh, 30 verse 20, walk you in it. I don't like to, how I see that circumstance, that situation. I would rather not be there. No, this is the way, walk in it, in obedience. And then you're going to, 
you're going to get in obedience the washing of the water of the word, then you're going to be able to see. You're going to be able to see. It wasn't until he went to that pool and washed that he could see Jesus and then receive him. Same thing for us. Not in terms of salvation, but in a walk here through this dark world. Christ has to be here, like he was there, but in a far greater way now with us. He had to be there, and he was. God in humanity, God in this man. And he was there to be in contact with men in all their darkness. I mean, who would do that? But only God. Come right into darkness and evil. Come right into it. It's only when, and we'll close with this, it's only when the Holy Spirit applies the word to our conscience do you and I own him as being actually sent by God for us in this circumstance, in this situation, and to be sent by him so that we can receive proper sight. That's what we're doing this morning, all of us. It's not the incarnation only, and that's great. We needed to have that body that was prepared, that lamb, Revelations 13, 8, that body in Hebrews 10, verse 5. Not only, but we needed the efficacious work of the Holy Spirit so that you and I could see God properly and see ourselves in him. And what a beautiful thing that is. And, and that's Titus 3. And we'll, we'll share on that. But that's Titus chapter 3. If we want to understand the type here in John the ninth chapter, when we want to see that in its perfect understanding as heavenly people, it's Titus chapter 3. Those first seven verses will bring it out clearly. We have been washed by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And that's a continual cleansing, isn't it? And and a continual cleansing so that we can walk in the light of the love and reality that God is to us and for us in Christ and walk through, not settle down in this evil, dark world, not settle down in our circumstances and situations and give up, but walk right through them to see Him face to face. So Lord, we thank You and praise You so much this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.